So good to be here today. We are continuing a series called Transformed. We're in the book of Acts. We're walking through the book of Acts, not hitting every verse, but hitting the major themes. How many of you guys were with us Tuesday night? Man, that was just on fire. That was just, we packed out the building and God really moved. And, and so that's just some of the stuff we've been looking at in Acts 2 and 4 and beyond that, that God has done before, that God is doing in this place, in this house, and we're thankful for that. Today, we've made it to Acts chapter 6, and I'm just guessing, I've got a hunch, that as you look at the people that you admire and respect, and those people that you remember well, that maybe they're in the past in your life, or maybe it's a historical figure, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a, I don't know, a loved one, but anybody that you admire, respect, or have a deep admiration for, it's probably because somewhere along the way they served or they sacrificed for other people beyond themselves, right? I mean, you think about parents who sacrificed maybe to get you to where you are today, and maybe they, they sacrificed some things that, that they could have enjoyed, but they did it for you, and it caused you to be able to stand on their shoulders or uh, you know, you can think about historical figures in, in the past, and a lot of people have done a, gr- a lot of great, not- notable, noble things, but the ones that we respect, the ones that we admire, are the ones who, it seems like they sacrificed, at least in the moment, in a way that did not directly benefit themselves, but was the benefit of other people. And even today, I'm thinking of people, even in, in our church, of you know, people like single moms who are working a couple jobs to provide. They're doing it not for their immediate benefit, but for the benefit of other people, our, our foster parents and adoptive parents and people like that who are sacrificing. Those are the people that we end up having a deep admiration and respect for. And there's a common denominator. And the common denominator is not that they're doing something, some great accomplishment uh, that's, that benefits only them. It's the common denominator is that they're serving other people. Common denominator is that they're sacrificing beyond themselves. Even Jesus. Jesus, when he came to this planet, I mean, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Majesty, beautiful name it is, all the songs we sing, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How many of you guys can think of some people in your life right now that you have that great admiration or respect for? Maybe you've read, read books about them or whatever it is. And so if that's true, that the people who we remember well and the people who leave like this legacy that we really admire, if it's because they serve and sacrifice, wouldn't it make sense that if we want to be remembered well, if we want to leave a, a legacy that makes a difference, that we too would have to do it the same way, right? And yet, how many times are we seeking after these accomplishments and these, these monuments to essentially to things that, that aren't that, that we think are gonna leave some big legacy or that's gonna have people be remembered, remember us well or admire us, and we seek after those things and we give our life to those things And yet it's the serving, it's the sacrifice that actually are those things that we end up admiring about people. And so, I don't know about you, but I want to be remembered well. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be remembered well, especially in the kingdom of God. What we want to have happen is not just that we're remembered well, but that people remember Jesus well through us, right? And so we come to Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. 
It says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So what was happening is the church was growing so fast that, you know, remember the chapters before we talked about it last week, that they were, people were selling all that they had and they brought it to the apostles' feet and they said, hey, let's just distribute this around. Anybody who had need, well, as they were doing that, some group of people were not being assisted well. They were being forgotten. They were being overlooked because there were so many people. And it says, and the 12 summoned together the full, the full number of disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching of the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of, wisdom, of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the disciples come together and they say, listen, we've got to take care of everybody, but somebody's got to still preach the word, and that's the calling God's put on our life. The implication is that up until this point, that the disciples, the apostles, had been the ones serving the tables. And they're like, you know, we would love to keep doing this, but we need some more people to be involved. And so let's pick seven people who are going to be able to do this task. And they're, they're picking seven people who are going to be able to do what? To serve tables. Now, when we think about being remembered well, and we think about leaving a legacy, I don't know of anybody who really thinks about that, including serving tables, right? Like, we don't think about that. And yet, it's serving people that actually cause us to leave a memorable legacy. But what if our legacy, what if our remembering well, if serving does that, what if it did involve waiting on tables or did involve some task that was seemingly unseen? What if it did? Why is it that we don't think those type of things are worthy, are legacy worthy? And I think some of the reason we think that is because we live in a culture today that is, you know, Everybody wants to be noticed. Everybody wants a stage. Everybody wants to be an influencer. Everybody wants a YouTube channel with, you know, a million, you know, subscribers. And, you know, and that's what, that's kind of the culture we live in. Well, and that's fine, but we, we kind of crept into our church culture, even into kingdom thinking, where we start to, well, now we've got a problem, if you haven't noticed at times, that we've got a celebrity Christian culture problem, where it seems like, and there's nothing wrong with influencing. There's nothing wrong with being known. There's nothing wrong with being famous. But what we've, we've done is now we have a lot of people who end up, their, their gifting and charisma has taken them past where their character can sustain them, right? And so then we have a lot of crash and burns happening because we have a culture that is celebrating celebrity. And then what that does is that ends up causing all of us to think that the way that we can really make a difference is to somehow be elevated to a place of celebrity. And that's kind of how we think of being remembered well. So why is it that we, just, that we struggle with things like the unseen or maybe the lesser seen as, as influencing? And I think it's because of a word called compartmentalization. We have compartmentalized serving. I think all of us would agree that serving and sacrifice is noble, admirable and worthy of taking and worthy of remembering well but i think we've categorized the type of serving and sacrifice that we think will be the kind that qualifies for being remembered well 
So let me give you three categories of serving that I think that, that happen sometimes. The first type of serving is where you serve because there's a need. This is what's being mentioned here in Acts chapter 6. There was a need. They had tables that needed to be served. And so they asked, we need seven people. And the, the job is serving tables. And it, it, it's not necessarily glamorous, but we need somebody to do it. And a lot of times, we don't think this type of serving is worthy to be remembered. And I, I think it's because even in church world, like a little, little pastor secret, they'll tell you at conferences and stuff, like, hey, if there's needs in the church and you need people to do stuff at the church, don't talk about what you need people to do. Like, preach vision because people don't want to hear about needs. Like, people don't respond to needs, they respond to vision. And it's true. I mean, if I were to get up here and to say, Guys, we need a lot of stuff done. And there's like people, like, I mean, there's, there's stuff out there that needs to be cleaned and needs to be done. There's kids that need to be walked. Like nobody's responding to that. But if I start talking about how, hey guys, if we could just go out and I mean, every single life, even the youngest life, Jesus said the children will come to me. And if I, I could preach you vision and you'd be like, sign me up, right? But there's something about that that may be wrong. There may be off about us. And maybe sometimes we're, we're trying to oversell something instead of just responding out of need. Well, that's the first one is need. And, be, and because of that, most people don't respond out of need. Second ty type of serving is where you serve because there's a passion. So in other words, I could tell you statistics about how sex trafficking is happening today and all the millions of people that are influenced by that and how it's happening even in our day. And there are, there's modern day slavery. And I could give you the statistics that would blow your mind. And when I tell you this and I paint the story and I tell you the story of somebody who's been affected by that and how they were set free from that, it might motivate some of you to say, I want to be involved in stopping that, right? Or maybe you hear numbers about abortion, or you hear numbers about the unreached people groups in the 1040 window, and how many people on the planet don't even have the Bible, and man, if we could give, or if we could serve, or we could show up and do this, then, then you know, it would change lives, and out of passion, we begin to serve. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. We should be motivated out of compassion. And passion. And the third type of serving is when we serve because there's a calling. In other words, there's an assignment, a specific assignment, whether it's in a season or for a lifetime that God has put on our life, and we serve. And sometimes it's fun, sometimes it's not, but we're motivated to do it because it's the assignment that we've been given. And what tends to happen through compartmentalization is we end up valuing two out of those three. We end up overweighting serving out of passion or out of calling as the real legit type of serving that needs, that's, that's the kind that's going to be remembered. And we devalue serving from need. And what, what I find interesting is that in Acts chapter 6, that Greek word there for, uh, it it's, talks about the ministry of the word. If we can put that back up there in, in verse uh, six through, one through four, if you put that up there, the, the word there for ministry of the word, it's the verse four, if you could. I'm throwing them for a curveball. I did it last night too, but verse four there, that, that word there that's, that means ministry of the word is the same word that if you back up in verse one that says daily distribution, 
Those two words are the same word. And they're the same word that means to serve, but more specifically, what the word means is ministry. So I want you to hear me really clearly that the ministry of the word and the serving daily distribution because there's a need are the same, the same word and they mean the same thing. Both of them are equally ministry. The ministry of the word and the serving of tables are equally, according to scripture, are equally ministry. And because we have tilted the scales to believe that only passion or calling are ministry, we don't tend to think of this other thing as ministry. And let me just say it clearly, all serving is equal ministry in the kingdom of God. And this ought to be an encouragement to somebody because some of you right now, you're in a season where you feel like you're, you're waiting on the tables and you thought, well, I'm waiting for an opportunity. And while I'm waiting, I'm just gonna wait on the tables. And it's not that important, but I'm gonna do it because, you know, it's just, it's what I have to do. And that's not a kingdom way of thinking. I think what happens is we end up having the Cousin Eddie complex in ministry. You know what that means? Like some of you guys like the Christmas Vacation movie. Remember Clark, he wants to paint this perfect you know, Christmas and he's trying to do all the lights. He's trying to do everything and everything's going wrong. And then of course, his cousin Eddie shows up in the RV that looks horrible, right? And it, it, he, it barely gets there. He looks horrible. He's not put together. He doesn't have a job. He's, he's, you know, he's mooching off everybody. He's trying to get money off everybody. And there's this, this one scene where uh, Clark's wife and Eddie's wife are talking, and they're like, why doesn't Eddie have a job? And she says, the wife responds, well, he's waiting. He's holding out for a, what? A management opportunity, right? This guy, has no, he just needs to get a job, right? So many of us, I think we're just holding out for a management opportunity in the kingdom of God. And yet, all serving is ministry. In the kingdom, we don't wait for calling or passion to serve because every person here is called to ministry, right? And so even if you don't have passion, even if you don't have calling right now, or even on top of those things, we're all called to minister, so that means we're all called to serve. And the good news is, it's the serving, even the th that type of serving that actually causes us to be remembered well. Because I don't know about you, but there are things that I remember about people that aren't always the visible big things. I remember things about people that are more behind the scenes things that I got to see with my eyes that no one else saw that made the difference, right? That made, it, it made them memorable to me. And so sometimes scrolling through social media can be really bad for your health. How many of you guys know that that's true, right? But sometimes you can find something that's of value. And I, and I came across this clip. One of our ministry leaders shared it. And I thought, man, this is exactly what we need to hear today. Take a look. So simple what I'm going to say. This is not deep, but it is highly challenging. Because it has been my experience. It's something that a lot of people do not possess. It's a quality they do not have. Said having no captain, no overseer, and no ruler, but does it anyway. I talked to you last week about diligence. Diligence is the ability to do a little thing a long time till something big happens. We have a generation of people that do nothing waiting for their big ship to come in. That might be America, but that's not kingdom. 
The kingdom says do not despise the day of small things. The kingdom says once you've become ruler over little, that means faithful over little, God will make you ruler over much. So God is testing you in the small to qualify you for the big. We got people who do nothing with the small and despise the small because they think they're only worthy of the big. And God will test you with the little thing and see, can you do a little thing diligently with all your might and all your power a long time? Because the Bible says, whatever you put your hands to, to do those things with all your might. Colossians 3 says to do them, not so that man's eyes can see you, but because God's eyes can see you. So you got to understand what you do it, whether publicly or privately, you do it all with all your might. And the Bible says to do it all in the name of the Lord. Okay. So whether it's a little thing or whether it's a big thing, can you be like David? David was anointed at 12 years old to be king of a nation. And after he got his oil, they sent him back out in the field to tend sheep. Can you have a great calling on your life and still do a little thing? He's got the oil of kingship running down his body and out there listening to the sound of sheep in a field. But it's what he did for the sheep that qualified him to lead the people. That's what they say. That'll preach. That's, that's, what, that's what that is. So let me give you some thoughts about serving. And uh, I, I believe it's going to help us out because this isn't one of those messages that everybody gets all excited about. I realize that, okay? This isn't a message. But this is a message that's a maturing message. This is a message that will mature you if you step into it. First uh, thing about serving is this. Serving is a yes offering to God. I've shared this story many times in, over the years in different forms, but, and it's a story I heard. I, it's a made-up story. It's not a joke. It's just a made-up story as an illustration uh, that I heard a long time ago. But it's very powerful. And it's a story about this, this pastor that went into this church. This church hired him. It was a small church. church hired him. He goes into this church and he doesn't know much about the church. He's trying to get to know the people. He doesn't know where the problem spots are. He doesn't know who the problem people are. He doesn't know what needs to happen to kind of get this thing going and turned around. And so he gets up uh, his first Sunday morning. He preaches a message. He goes and stands by the exit door at the end of the message because he wants to greet everyone on the way out so he can get to know people. And he's greeting people in the line as they're exiting the building. And this guy comes up to him, he's kind of an older gentleman, comes up to him, grabs hold of his hand, shakes his hand, kind of holds on to it, squints his eyes a little bit, and looks him in the eyes, dead eye, you know, dead serious, locked eyes. And he said, Pastor, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? And then he turns and he walks out of the room. And this pastor's like, what is this guy all about? Like, that's, that's weird. And Next week goes by, he's kind of thinking about it all week, but next week goes by, he gets up, preaches a sermon, he goes and stands at the back, just like normal, he sees the guy, it's in line, like a few people back, he's like, okay, here's this guy coming up, I wonder what he's going to do. The guy comes up, same exact thing, grabs hold of his hand, shakes his hand, holds on to it, squints his eyes, really, really serious, and he looks him straight on in the eye and says, pastor, the answer is yes, now what's the question? And he walks out of the room, and so this pastor's all like, man, this, I've got a live one here, this guy is like, here's one of the people, i got to watch out for and so third week goes by he gets up preaches his message same thing he goes and stands. he sees the guy coming again he waits the guy comes in line grabs his hand same thing looks at him very very serious and says pastor the answer is yes now what's the question he turns to get ready to leave and the pastor stops he's like no 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 
what are you talking about, right? And so the, the guy looks at the pastor, he says, well, I'll tell you what I'm talking about, pastor. He's like, I know you're coming into this church and you don't know anybody. You don't know who has your back or who's fighting against you or who's you know, been here before or what the situation is. But I just want you to know that my answer is yes to any question you ask of me. You just need, my answer is yes, I'm, I've got your back. My answer is yes, you just tell me the question. And such a powerful illustration of what we need to do to God. That we need to just say to God, God, my answer is yes. Now what's the question? Like I've already predecided that I'm giving you my yes as an offering to you and whatever you ask of me, I may not like it, I may not understand it, I may not want to do it, but my answer is yes. Now what's the question? Because serving is just a yes offering to God. You know, in that clip, he mentioned the scripture Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You're not doing stuff for other people. Everything that we do, our life is an offering to God. It may look like you're doing it for other people. It may seem like you're helping people or serving people. And certainly as a byproduct, you are. But the scripture says that who you're actually doing it for is for the Lord says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. I want you to understand, everything you're doing right now, the reason you're doing it, especially in kingdom work, whatever that may look like, or even on your job or whatever it is, you're doing it unto God. He's the one you're giving your yes to. And so we do it well. We do it when we don't feel like it. We do it when it doesn't seem like we're making a difference because our doing it is not dependent on whether we're making a difference or whether any of those other things. It's doing it because we're doing it unto the Lord. You know, um, over my life, I feel like I've simply yesed my way into my calling. Because I made a decision as a teenager. I knew I had that calling level of serving on my life. And I knew I had a, an assignment but I wasn't there. I was kind of like David out in the field, you know. And, but I just made a decision as a teenager that I, I was serving in a youth ministry. And I made a decision that whatever my youth pastor asks me to do, I'm just going to say yes to. The answer is yes. Now what's the question? And so over the years, I, he, I would find myself cleaning the auditorium, the youth auditorium, because he asked me to. And my answer was already yes. I found myself, you know, being one of the bus pastors and riding the bus at times with the teenagers, which wasn't always fun, but I had already said yes. I'd pre-given my yes. And so that was, that was unto God, but that was in that environment. And I found myself leading worship because he asked me to lead worship. And so I said yes. Now, what's the question? And then he asked me to preach. And this may sound weird, but as a teenager, I enjoyed talking to people one-on-one, -on -one, but I hated any moment where it was just me doing something, like standing up in front of people in a, in a serious environment, and then people like, like this very environment. I was terrified of it. And I know it sounds crazy because you see me do it all the time now, but I really, I was, I'd get so nervous. I would get, you know, uh, I would be, you know, I just wasn't, it was horrible. And so, but he asked me to preach, and I remember the first time he asked me to preach, and I did not want to say yes, but I had already predecided to give up my yes, and so I just said yes, and it was horrible, and I did it anyway, and he asked me to do it again, and I had already pre-given my yes, and 
So I just yesed my way into the calling of God. I just said yes. And so that was a lot of altar moments. But serving is just a surrendered yes. That's all it is. You know that your yes wants to do a lot of things, right? Your yes all the time is trying to volunteer for things. But in the kingdom, serving is just a yes that's been surrendered to God's purposes. That's what it is. And all of us have a yes. We just have to surrender the yes to the right things. Because before God promotes you externally, you have to be walking in it internally. The problem I see is a lot of people want to walk externally in things, but they don't have anything going on internally. They're waiting for the external before they'll start walking internally. You know, he mentioned David. You know, David gets anointed in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. It says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. At that moment, he's a kid. He's anointed to be king. But the spirit of kingship went on him and in him in that moment. But he's still a kid and he's still watching sheep. He was anointed, but he didn't have the position or title Yet he still acted like a king. So much so that years later, he's, I mean, Saul, King Saul, the king at the time, he knew that David had been anointed king and he was not going, he didn't like that and he was trying to take David out. David's being wrongly hunted over and over and over again and David has an opportunity in a cave to kill Saul and to take him out to take the throne. But he passes up on it. And he says, I am not going to touch the Lord's anointed. Here, as a, a hunted man, wrongfully accused, rightfully anointed, he's acting more like a king in the cave than Saul is. And even though Saul has the position and title. What, what I'm saying is that, I've said this quote before, let me just put it up on the screen. Before God promotes you to the next level, you have to be already walking in that higher level of anointing and authority, but without the position and title. So many of us, we want the position and title. We covet the position and title. We seek the position and title. We crave it. We, we idol, it, it becomes an idol to us. But, and you may, here's the, here's the sad thing. You may even get the position and title but eventually things come crumbling down if you ha don't have the internal goods. If you don't have a surrendered yes that's been surrendered in, in private over and over and over again. It's been surrendered in the field watching the sheep over and over and over again. You may get it by, by your ambition. You may get it by your charisma. But you will not get it by calling that way. And so... It's just a surrendered yes. You have to start living in it even though the circumstances haven't caught up to where you're living internal yet. You live there internally first because your yes has been surrendered. All right, the second thing about serving is something I'm not going to tell you. I'm just not going to tell you what it is. Why? Because I've asked my wife to tell you what it is. So give her a big hand as she comes and shares. Yeah, so the second point is that serving is a seed. And just like a seed goes into the ground and you see nothing for a long, long time, serving is the same way. Serving for a long time, it feels like you're doing nothing. Or it may seem like you're doing nothing. But if you just keep waiting, you will see fruit from it. And so the reason Sean asked me to do this point is because he wanted to, me to share just a little bit of my story. So we got married very young. I was 19. He was 18. And when we got married, I was so excited because 
I knew both of us, both of our personalities are very driven. We were called into the ministry, and I was just so sure we are going to change the world together for God. We're going to jump into ministry. We're going to work together. We're going to be like this power team, and we are just going to change the world. And so very soon into our marriage, he accepted the, um, through God just amazingly opened these doors, and he stepped into youth ministry. Around that same time, I started having kids. And we very quickly, we had four kids in five years. And um, this is our story. So just to be clear, this is my story. But what God asked me to do was to stay home with the kids. And then as years went by, he asked me to homeschool the kids too. And so there's a funny thing about having four kids in five years. You don't really have a lot of time to do much else. And so I, I will admit, I grew weary. If you think about that verse in Galatians, Galatians 6, 6, 9, where it tells us to not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. And I did grow a little weary. I mean, he, uh, when Sean stepped into youth ministry, there was around 200 teenagers, and he just exploded it to where at special events, we would have over a thousand teenagers. And he was changing the world. I mean, he was Teenagers were getting saved. Lives were being changed. Parents were coming to church because of the teenagers. And I'm just looking at him, you know, going on, you know, missions trips and going to youth camps and changing the world. And I am home, wiping noses and changing diapers and explaining for the 60th time what a noun is or how to subtract fractions. And I just felt discouraged and I just felt overlooked. And I just felt like, what am I doing? You know, I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought, God, I thought. And so I kind of came to this place where I was like, okay, I understand. He's going to change the world, and I am too, but the way I'm going to do it is to be his support. That I'm going to be here, I'm going to be the one kind of holding down the, hum- the home front, and he will go and change the world. And I really did find peace with that, you know. I was like, okay, this is my place, and I can do this, and this is what God has asked me to do, and I can do it. And so several years ago, I was sitting right there, on right there where Sherry is, and I just heard myself saying, I was like, God, I'm happy. You know, I'm, um, we're doing good things. I am really happy. I just wish there was something I could point to as kind of like, this is what I've done with my life. You know, just like a book or a podcast, or something. I just want to be able to point to something tangible. And I'm going to tell you guys, God has not given me very many like clear visions in my life, but this time it was one of them. Before I even finished that sentence, I saw my five children lined up on the stage, from oldest to youngest. I saw them there, and God said, point to that. And I'm going to tell you guys, it, it broke me. And I knew what he was saying. He wasn't just saying, here's five children you birthed. You know, is my five kids who are smart and kind and funny. And they love being around us. And they love being around each other. And they love being at church. And they love God with everything in them. And they want to serve other people. And I, I, every last bit of little bit of holding on to something just broke off me. And again, I just want to reiterate, this is my story. This is not a story about how to be a mom. This is a story of obedience, 
of obeying day in and day out something that felt very day in and day out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it was just, it was um, very monotonous and not very much glory. And, you know, I mean, I'm still young. I'm sure God has a lot in my future, but I can guarantee that at the end of my life, when I look back, that those years at home with my children, that's what I'm going to be the most proud of. And so I just want to encourage everyone that you might feel like you're, st you might feel like a seed where you're like underground and nobody sees and nobody knows, but just keep serving, just keep doing it, and you will reap that harvest. So that might not be your story, that might not be your obedience thing, but you might have a similar thing and you might be in the delay, in between the planting and the harvesting, whatever it is. But there's truth in that, that serving is a seed. If you serve in your marriage, there, there, it's, it's like a seed at times. I mean, you may not get that immediate harvest. You serve in a relationship, you serve in a church, you serve in your, whatever it is, serving is a seed. All right. In all of this, you know, we're talking about David being, you know, you know, being promoted and a seed and a delay and the harvest and all that type of stuff. The last thing is what I really want you to catch because it really, it really takes these other things we've talked about and puts them in perspective. And I believe in right kingdom perspective in all of this. Because I think there's a temptation in a message like this that says, okay, if I do this, I'll get that. If I do this, I'll have that. But here's what I want you to catch. Last thought. Serving is the promotion. We keep waiting for something, but it's actually the serving that is the promotion that we've been waiting for. And that's not just a play on words. It's not just trying to be creative. I'm, I'm just telling you, it's true. I want you to see something here in Acts chapter 6, verse five through seven, as we continue, it says, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. So they said, choose some people. We need somebody to serve tables. And so they chose, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Pumbaa, and Nicholas. <laughs> Just making sure you guys are paying attention. <laughs> That's how I read it every single time. So they set them before the apostles. They prayed, they laid their hands on them. This was a big deal. They weren't treating this lightly. They, were, they laid hands on them. And as a result of this, the implication is that the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so Stephen, I want you to take note of what it said about Stephen and the others. But it said about Stephen in particular. That Stephen was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. I want you to see that Stephen prepared himself to serve, not for a stage. He was full of faith in the Holy Spirit because he was getting ready to serve. Sometimes I think we can read a scripture passage like this and we can think, oh, okay, these seven guys were just kind of not ready for prime time. These seven guys were just the guys that they picked that maybe they couldn't do the other stuff. And so because they couldn't, then they put them in this slot because they weren't good enough to be on the stage. No, the very next, next scripture, you read it out, Stephen is doing miracles. He's doing all the same stuff. In fact, the next chapter or two is about Stephen and, and him being persecuted. 
But he prepared himself to serve. He wasn't preparing himself for a stage. So many of us are preparing ourselves for a stage when we should be just preparing to serve. Because serving is the promotion. Stephen got promoted into serving. He got promoted into more serving, into greater serving, into deeper serving. And he understood that he prepared his heart to be to serve, not to be on a stage. Now, some of you guys will remember um, Linda, Tom and Linda Buckle. Some of you guys will remember Tom and Linda, who used to go to church here for a while. God called them away. They went to Arizona for a while, and, and then they came back. They live in a different part of the Northland now. But when I was a teenager, in, growing up in this church, before I was a youth pastor, I was a teenager. This was a large church. It was probably about 1,000 people at the time. And one of the people who was on staff there and who would from time to time get up and preach was this lady named, for me, was named Pastor Linda. I knew Pastor Linda. I didn't know her. I'd never met her, but I would watch her preach. And whenever she would preach, many of you guys, some of you guys who were there, you'd know. I mean, she'd be fire. I mean, she would just preach fire. And I remember that standing out to me. I'm like, man, this lady is just preaching fire. This is Pastor Linda. And I'd hear all the stories that she'd done. And her and her husband had started a church before. And they were, you know, they took these missions trips and they did all this stuff and just were anointed and doing a lot of stuff in the book of Acts type stuff that I was like, man, that's Pastor Linda. And then uh, I remember when I became the youth pastor at that same church, my, I found out that my office was right next to Pastor Linda's office. And for some reason, I know it sounds silly, but I'm like, I made it. I'm like, my office is right next to Pastor Linda. I would hear her counseling people through the walls. I know I wouldn't, shouldn't do that, but I was just like, this is Pastor Linda, you know? And I'm right next to Pastor Linda. I remember one day I went out and I, I was golfing with Pastor Linda. She tore me up totally, because you know, when I golf, I, it's like croquet. That's how I golf, you know? But I'm like, I'm golfing with Pastor Linda. How cool is this, you know? And so just years went by and, and we started the church in 2006 and we were over there at Shoal Creek Elementary and there were like 40 people there that, that Sunday. And when I say 40 people, that's, that's counting every child, anything that moved and probably kids still in the womb, like we were counting them because we needed to count something. And so there was nobody there is what I'm saying. And in walks Tom and Linda Buckle. Now, Tom, he had pastored years before. If you ever went into Tom's basement, he had a library in his basement. He was basically a theologian. I would sit down there at times and just study with him and borrow his books and all sorts of stuff. They both just done these incredible things for God. And they showed up at the church. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Tom and Linda Buckle are showing up. Now, by this time, I had been friends with them and, uh, and stuff, but I still was honored that they showed up at the church. And then they stayed at the church. And I thought, how cool is this, that Pastor Linda is at the church? And eventually they came on our, our uh, board, and I thought, well, man, you know, because I was young, I started the church at 28, and I thought, well, if these people who are really seasoned in the Lord, if they endorse me, then maybe other people who come in think, okay, this young kid must be all right because they endorse him, you know? And so, I mean, all this history and all this stuff. Well, God called him away, but then I'll never forget this was a few years ago. It was Easter Sunday. And we were getting ready for church, and they, they had attended here for a while in this, room, in this building. And I walk out as we're getting ready for church, and there's Tom and Linda Buckle now in their 70s or 80s. And they're in their Sunday best. Not just Sunday best, but like Easter Sunday best. You know what I'm saying? And I walk out, and there they are, these giants in the faith, anointed of God, 
I open up that door and I look out and Tom and Linda are there sweeping the floor. No one asked them to. No one told them to. They just saw that the floor needed to be swept. And they, on their own, went and found a broom, found it, and they were cleaning up. The and I thought, wow. I've seen them anointed on a stage, and now I get to see them anointed sweeping. Because according to the kingdom, all serving is ministry. And, what, and that image is forever burned into my, imagine, my, my spiritual imagination of just seeing a couple like that who got it. And it's that act of sweeping the floor that told me more about them than anything else. It told me, it was way more impressive to me than any sermon that she had ever preached. It's way more impressive that I walked out when no one was going to see them and they understood what it meant after living a lifetime of being on, on a stage, of being influential, of doing all these great things for God. They understood what it meant to pick up a broom. That is forever, that's forever marked me. Because serving is the promotion. I'll never forget that I finally got this one day. Because when you grow up in a culture like we do, and I grew up, grew up in a large church and on a stage, you start to begin to think that everything worthwhile does happen on a stage. And I remember years ago when I had this realization that every one of us are called to serve. And I realized I, I may lead, but I'm actually just called to serve. If every single one of us in this church are called to serve, it's like a revelation layer just came open for me and I realized I'm here to serve Journey Church. The way I happen to do that best, or maybe most useful in this season for God's assignment on my life, is the way that I serve this church is by leading the church. That's the way I can serve the church best. The way I can serve the church best in this season is to be here right now and to preach a message for you. That's the way I can serve best. Your, your way may look different in this season, but I'm telling you, according to the kingdom of God, they're all equal. It's, it's all equal. It's all ministry. And one day, I believe this is my life assignment, but one day I won't be the one who is able to serve you best in this capacity. And somebody will come along and be able to serve you by leading the church a couple decades from now, Lord willing, but then that will be their role to serve best. But can I just be honest with you? And this may sound really, really weird to some of you in our, you know, as I talk about our celebrity culture, our influencer culture, whatever. There are so many times when I don't, when I wish that I didn't have to serve this way. Like I I know it sounds weird because there's so many of us that are seeking stage and we're seeking, you know, visibility. There's so many times I wish I didn't have to serve this way. Because if you know anything about me, I would rather many times just go off grid somewhere and live in the mountains for the rest of my life, right? And somebody, somebody ought to just say amen to that because I know you're thinking it, right? I would rather do that sometimes. There are times when I don't want to serve in this way but I surrender my serve. 
And in the same way, you may not want to serve the way that God has you serving right now. You're like, man, I'd rather trade places with you, Pastor. I'd rather be on the stage than behind the scenes. That's great. We're both in the same place where we have to surrender our serve at times. And for me, there are many times I surrender my serve to lead this church. I surrender my serve to preach messages. And when I do that, it's honoring to God. And I do that because I know that it's the right thing to do. Because serving is the promotion, no matter where you're at. Even Jesus you know, and all of his majesty and all of his glory and all of his greatness and the, it was there at the creation of all the earth, you know? He comes into to humanity, into the timeline of humanity, and his greatest and highest act that we worship, that we talk about, that we sing about, that we celebrate, his highest act was a serving act where he served and he sacrificed his life on the cross for us. His highest act was a serving act. And so Jesus, his, his highest promotion time, if you could say it that way, was an act of self-sacrifice. And some of you might say, well, no, but he ultimately got the promotion because he ascended to the right hand of the Father and he's there, you know, and all that type of stuff. But the question is, what is he doing at the right hand of the Father? And the, we know the answer to what he's doing even right now. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23, it says, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. What is this talking about? Under the old system in the Old Testament, there was a priest who stood before God for the people. But they couldn't continue doing it forever because eventually they died. And you got to get another priest who can do that. But it says, but Jesus, but he, that's Jesus, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. So it's giving us this picture of the priesthood of Jesus. And it says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since, what is he doing at the right hand of the Father? He always lives to make intercession for them. Right now, Jesus is serving you and me. He's praying for us. demonstrating the, that the highest promotion you could ever get is to serve other people. He ever lives to make intercession for you, for me. He's still serving. He's still serving right now. And so as the worship team comes up and we wrap up, here's what I want to encourage you, because some of us, man, we've grown weary in the serve, whatever that is for you. And maybe, maybe you've been waiting for a long time. Maybe you've been waiting to be recognized. Maybe you've been waiting to be served. Maybe you've been waiting for your moment. Maybe you've been waiting for your ship to come in. Maybe you've been waiting for that opportunity when you, you finally have this moment to be appreciated, valued, blessed, whatever it is. It's easy to, to get there. Here's my encouragement to you. Do what you've been waiting for. Whatever it is. And I'm not talking about out of obligation or to get something, but I'm talking about by faith, like we talked about last week. That by faith, maybe you've been waiting for things, by faith begin to do it for someone else. If you've been waiting to be served, serve somebody else. This is the faith act. If you've been waiting to be honored, you're like, and if somebody would just honor, like find somebody to honor. Find somebody to do that for. This is faith. This is how you flip the script on the enemy. If you've been waiting to be invited in, whatever that looks like for you, 
I mean, sometimes we feel like we're on the outside of whatever. Find somebody to invite in to something. Because I guarantee you, just like you feel like on the outside and don't feel invited, there's somebody else who's on the outside and doesn't feel invited. But by faith, we can begin to be that for someone else. If you've been waiting to be recognized, find somebody to recognize. Find somebody to to lift up, to praise, to set up high, even if it's not you, even if you never get the praise for it, even if you never get recognized. Find somebody to prop up. This is faith living. If you've been waiting to be fully loved for who you are, and you're like, man, if somebody would just, just love me instead of always having all these conditions, then start to find somebody to fully love for who they are with the God kind of love. And as you do that, what you're doing is you're flipping selfishness into serving. Selfish people are never remembered well. Selfish people are never promoted in the kingdom. It's serving people. If you've been waiting for your moment, maybe you're thinking, man, I see everybody else getting their moments, but I don't have my moment. If you've been waiting for your moment, Here's what I encourage you to do. Celebrate somebody else's moment as if it were fully your moment. Step into the joy that they must be experiencing. I mean, fully go there. And anytime you have a thought of, man, I wish that was me, or jealousy, or envy, you just, you, you squash that and you just say, I am going to fully celebrate this moment with them. By faith, I'm gonna do that. If you've been waiting to bless, be blessed, bless somebody. If you're waiting for an open door, find a way to open a door for somebody else, even if it's little. These are faith acts. This is how it works in the kingdom of God. If It's sowing seeds. And so you have to die to self to do that though. You realize that, right? Like we have to go to the cross. We have to go back to the baptismal waters and remind ourselves that we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Love me, He gave it so for me. You get that so much in your spirit that I've surrendered my yes to God. This isn't a fun message, but this is a growing message. And so if you want to live like Jesus, you want to be like Jesus, live to serve, not to be served. Would you stand up with me? Can we take a moment and just, let's surrender our serve to Jesus right now. Whatever it is. Lord, we're not going to grow weary in doing good. We're not going to grow weary in whatever you've asked us to do, but we're going to surrender our serve to you. It's a yes offering to you, Jesus. It's a yes offering. Lord, we give you our yes. It's a surrendered yes to the will and the purposes of God, not to be seen by men, but so it's, this is a gift and an offering that is purely unto you that will echo throughout eternal things, through echo throughout eternity. Lord, we give this offering up to you, this offering of serving others, of serving you. We give you our yes by faith, not out of obligation, not out of duty, but by faith, knowing that as we do this, that there is joy. There is joy in serving you. And so, Lord, we respond and we give you this offering of our praise and our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship one more time.